Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Today, I want to talk to you about favorites, okay? I want to talk to you about favorites. Now, I already know I have some fair people in the room, all right? And you're like, I don't have a favorite child. I don't play favorites. You lying. You are lying. You have a favorite, and if we really did some investigation, we would figure out who's the favorite. Maybe it's a blind side, and you don't know it, but we would be able to uncover who was your favorite. Now, i got to be honest. Uh, just real quick, I want to know who my audience is. So if you know, like, you were the favorite kid growing up, maybe you're still the favorite child, go ahead and just raise your hand. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Okay. I just want to let you know, <laughs> on behalf of the other children in the family, we don't like you. We don't like you. We <laughs> We're working on it, and I'm not saying that I ever, like, I would never say I went as far to, like, like where I would say I hated one of my siblings, but my younger brother, he's two years younger than me, he was clearly my mom's favorite. And there are some times where I was like, I want to hurt you. You didn't do anything to me, but you're just the favorite. And my big deal was like, okay, I can see if my older brother was your favorite, but you just met this dude. How are you going to pick him when, when I'm older than him? But I really wasn't too torn up about it. Because while it's great and that's cute, your mom and dad's favorite, that's so awesome, we all know the real prize is being the favorite grandchild. Come on, where my favorite grandchildren at? Come on. That's, because my grandma, my grandma had way more money to spend on stupid stuff than my mom did, okay? And so I remember um, my grandma would come pick me up on the weekend in her little Honda Accord. And um, what you need to know is that I have, I have four brothers and four sisters. So it's like everybody can't go. You know, everybody can't ride. And so she would just come pick me up. And, and, and it was pretty clear, like, I, I was the favorite because she wouldn't cook anything the whole weekend. I'm talking about for breakfast we're going out to eat, for lunch we're going out to eat, for dinner. And then she would get ready to take me home. And, and when she was on the way to drop me off, we would stop for some ice cream. Come on, some good old Dairy Queen. And I had two options. I could just hurry up and eat the ice cream and throw the trash away before I went into the house. But what fun is that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not trying to get brain freeze, okay? <laughs> I, I'm going to eat the ice cream as slow as I possibly can. And I don't even care that it's melting. I'll sip it if I have to. Because I loved the feeling of walking into the house and looking at my siblings in the eye and letting them know the favorite has arrived. <laughs> And I have something that you'll never get, okay? (laughs) And the the words out of my sibling's mouth is the same as the title for my message today, This Isn't Fair. This isn't fair that you got Devin something and you didn't get all of us something. Now, in all fairness to my grandma, like nine kids, that's a lot of ice cream, okay, with inflation and all the different things. Like, it's expensive out here. Um, but, But have you ever felt like this isn't fair? And sure, we're adults, so you probably don't throw tantrums. You've probably never been in traffic and thought words that are not holy. You, this, is not, this is for the person beside you. Have they ever felt like life isn't fair? You thought your life was going to play out one way, and now you're in a situation and you're looking at it and it's like, man, this, this, this isn't fair. I don't, I'm not supposed to be here. Like something about my life isn't fair. And there's this story in Matthew chapter 20 
that Jesus begins to tell, and it's from our soap God. So we're going to read the whole story. It's 16 verses, okay? So I'm going to help you catch up on your soap God if you missed today this week. It's all good. I got you. I got you. And so we're going to read this, and it's going to help us with this thought. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So I want to pause and just pull out a couple of things. Jesus starts his story with, For the kingdom of heaven is like. And this is important to us because this lets us know, this should like set off our alarm that he's wanting to teach us what following Jesus, what being a part, being a Christian is like. In other words, how should we operate? And more importantly, how we should think. Jesus was a master storyteller. And this is what was so great about his stories is that he didn't just tell you stories to fix your behavior. No, the, throughout the whole story, he was challenging how you thought. And this is why the Pharisees never got the stories or they were always offended at Jesus because they were all about the rules. They were all about the do's and the don'ts, the cans and the cannots. And so when Jesus stepped onto the scene and he didn't have a lot to say about do's and don'ts, but he had a lot of stories about how you think and the, and the status of your heart, because ultimately he knew that if I can change your thinking and if I can change your heart, then your actions will follow. So this will actually help you. This has actually helped me with my parenting, <laughs> Because I have an almost six-year-old son, and if you know anything about little boys, they, want to, they, they like to try you, okay? They, they like to test the limits. But if I only correct his actions and say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, but I never get down on his level and tell him stories about how he should think and how, what the status of his heart should be, then I will forever have a job correcting him, and he'll be 35, and I'll still be like, hey, don't do that, okay? And so that has helped me, and Jesus wants to mold our Thinking. So he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And he goes out early and this landowner goes out and he's looking for workers. And during this time, if you didn't um, have a trade already or own a business or had like solidified work, you would go to what they called the marketplace. Okay. And so there would be a crowd of people and they're all looking for work. And then if you were a business owner or a landowner and you just needed some help for the day, you would go out early in the morning. The workday would start at 6 a.m. You would go out and you would recruit people and you would go, hey, I, I need some people to come out and help me. And they agreed on a denarius. Now, a denarius was not by, by no means were these people going to get rich off of denarius. It was just enough to take care of their needs for the day. It was enough to take care of their family for the day. And so these workers agreed to this pay. Verse 3, about 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. That's interesting that with the first group, he says, I'm going to pay you this amount. With the second group, he just says, I'll just, I'll just pay you what is right, what I think is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, the, now the logical side of my brain has some questions for this landowner. Like, like, did you not know the size of your vineyard and how many workers you were going to need? Because in my mind, you would have just went out first thing in the morning and actually recruited the exact amount of people that you needed. But obviously, he didn't do that. 
He went out at six, and then he went out again and again. Like, this dude knows how to build a team, okay? He's not just asking people one time. He's just circling back. He's going back at lunch. He's going back at three. And so I think that Jesus puts this in this story to remind us that God is not a, if you missed it, you just missed it type of God. But God is coming back, and he's constantly looking for the people who are lost. And he's asking them, why are you doing nothing? Why are you still anxious? Why are you still depressed? Why are you still stuck? Why are you still far away from a relationship with me? And this is all of our stories, that you were standing around purposeless until God invaded your life and said, hey, I have something for you, but before we get there, I got to bring you into a relationship with me and give you a purpose. But still, even with that, that's, I mean, that's awesome. But with the five o'clock group, I'm still wondering, okay, the workday was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and then they would pay everyone at the end of the day. And so at 5 p.m., you're coming to, I'm, I'm, bare, I'm not even going to be able to make it through orientation. Like, what, what are we doing? And even for the people who are still there at 5, I'm like, come on, bro. Like, I get it. Stay until lunch or whatever. But you stayed in the same spot you were at the marketplace all day with nothing to do. You were that desperate for work that you just waited in one spot so that you could maybe get hired on to do something. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Come on, we're about to be balling. Like I know we, we made a commitment and we decided and we agreed to work for a denarius. But now that I've seen that you've paid the people that only worked one hour and I've actually given you 12 hours, Oh, I'm expecting to be bawling. Like, I'm not going to have to work for the rest of the week because I'm about to get paid. But each one of them also received a denarius. That, that don't seem fair. I'm going to just go ahead and say what we're all thinking. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> if I worked all day and you worked an hour and we both stand in line and we get the same amount of money, I'm just going to go ahead and say I might have some words for somebody if that happened to me. Verse 11, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They got a point. I'm just, like, they have a point. You came out at 5. 5 is a lot cooler than 11 a.m. 5 is a lot cooler than noon. Like, we worked all day. We were in the sun. We sweat. We bled. We, like, we put our life into this for this whole day, and now we're getting the same amount of payment. Verse 13, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This isn't on anyone's refrigerator. <laughs> and maybe you've never worked in a vineyard. I haven't. <laughs> but, but if I could just take the concepts and put them into language that we understand. 
imagine you're in the corporate world, all right? And you have been put on a project, all right? And this is a huge project your boss asks you, and you're going to be pulling reports for the next year you're going to be working on this thing. And so you're excited about it because you know, if I do good on this project, like I'm getting a promotion, I'm getting a raise, like well, I'm about to go to the next level, all right? And nine months into this project, your team hires a new guy. And your boss pulls you in and says, hey, I need you to really take this guy under your wing. I need you to train him up. And why don't you just give him, like, some assignments that have to do with this project just so he can kind of learn the ropes. And so you bring him in, and you're, like, you're not thinking anything of it. You're just like, hey, the team is growing. The business is growing. This is going to be awesome. And two days before, it's time to do this presentation on this project that you've been really working on and they've kind of helped out with. Your boss pulls you back into his office and says, hey, I'm actually going to have you only present half of it. And I want you to let him present the other half. And you're like, I mean, have we been in the same office for the last year? I mean, I've I put everything I have into this, and it's been here for less than a quarter, and you're just going to, okay, whatever. Because you know, like, the promotion is still in the back of your mind. You're like, okay, I can do this. I'm still going to get the promotion. It's fine. And so you do the presentation, and it goes, it goes great. It goes phenomenal. The boss calls you, and it's like, hey, great news that, like, it was a win. We got exactly the result we wanted to. And I'm actually going to give both of you the same raise and the same promotion and the same title. How, how would you respond to that? Okay, I'm a youth pastor, so I got to help my teenagers because they're like, I ain't never got a job, okay? And they're like, my job is going to be YouTube. It's fine. Um, okay. You and Sarah have been best friends forever. And by forever, by forever, I mean y'all met in sixth grade and y'all are going into the ninth grade, okay? So, you know. And y'all like... Y'all are so tight that y'all have, like, you have the one side of the heart necklace, and then she has the other side of the heart necklace, okay? But y'all are freshmen, so y'all are starting at a new school. You're going to high school. And y'all, remember, y'all been tight. And there's this new girl that comes, and she has a class with Sarah that you don't have. You know, y'all try to line up your schedule, but just one of these classes, y'all don't have together. And they're starting to hang out. And if you're being honest, you're not that big of a fan of Sarah. You don't really, you don't really like her. You think she's kind of fake. But you have an amazing youth pastor who has taught you there's no such thing as a cool kid table, and your friend quote is never full. So you're just like, I'm going, you know what? I'm going to tolerate this girl. I'm going to go ahead and let her hang out with us. And so Sarah plans a weekend where y'all all three are going to get together and hang out, right? Y'all going to hang out. And so y'all are doing your thing. You're like, I don't really, I don't know why she's here, but it, it is what it is. I'm friends with Sarah, so we're just hanging out. Y'all are taking selfies, posting on Snapchat, like y'all just doing the whole thing. Y'all made some reels, and you thought it was all good until you're on your way home, and you pull up Instagram, and you see that Sarah has posted a reel, a video of you and this other girl, and it's like POV, my two best friends. <laughs> two best friends? <laughs> I will give you this necklace back, okay? We are. <laughs> how, how would you respond? Mom, you've been home with the kids all day. You've been keeping them alive. You've been feeding them, changing diapers, cleaning them, like just taking care of them, making sure that they do not die <laughs> while dad is at work. And dad comes home, and all of a sudden, it's like you disappear. <laughs> and all of the kids run to dad. They love, they hug his knees, and it's like, how do you feel in that moment? You started the life group. The life group was your idea. Last semester you started, you was like, I want to do this life. It's going to be awesome. You got a co-leader and a helper, and you poured your life into them. You invested into them. And in this semester, they started a group without you. And it's bigger than your group. 
I know I'm being a little funny, but I'm trying to show is that we've all been in this situation. And even though you haven't worked in a vineyard, you have felt cheated or like something wasn't fair or like you were overlooked. And if we're really, if we really boil down what we're really talking about, we're talking about jealousy. The workers aren't mad because they didn't get paid a fair price. They're mad because somebody else got extra in their mind. And the only time I get jealous is when I forget to be grateful for what God has actually done in my life. And so I want to talk to us about three thoughts we need to keep a grateful heart. And so I want to practically help us. I'm going to give you these three throughout this sermon. And I want you to take these, and every time you feel like you've been cheated or you say out of your mouth, that isn't fair or that isn't right, I want you to replace that and immediately say one of these. And what you'll do over that is you'll begin to not correct your actions but train yourself on how to think. So the first thought we're going to use to keep a grateful heart is this. God owes me nothing. I know that sounds harsh and heavy, but God owes us Nothing. The landowner in this story represents the father, and the landowner, he didn't have to go out to the marketplace to look for work. He actually didn't have to hire any of them, and these workers forget that they were sought out in the first place. And so God owes you nothing. It's funny that the early workers agreed upon a payment and then were upset when they got exactly what they agreed for. While the later workers actually never made an agreement based on an amount. They were just so willing to work that they were just like, yeah, whatever is right. I don't know what that means, (laughs) but I'm going to work because I know that I need to provide for my family. And this man has given me an opportunity. And so I'm going to take that opportunity. And this is a warning to us to be careful because there are some people, the things that you're complaining about, people would love to be in that situation. People would love to be in your scenario. If we operate in a spirit that thinks that Jesus owes us, then we're constantly looking for what we can get and not what we can give. You're constantly looking to get instead of being generous. And, and here's the deal. If you want that type of culture around you, if you want everybody around you to be getters and not givers, that's fine. But on our wall, we have another value that is always give. And so we're not giving because of what we're going to get in return, even though God promises to bless us. No, we're giving because it's all God's in the first place. And so we have a finance meeting in my family every other week on Monday before we get paid, and we go, okay, we determine what's going to go to where. But the thing that never changes is our tithe. We're never debating with God whether we're going to give back a portion of what's his to him in the first place. Does that make sense? And so we're looking to give. Romans chapter 11, verse 34 and 36 says this, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. In other words, you don't know what God is thinking. You just don't. And the harsher reality is he's not asking your advice. We don't pray so that we tell God what to do. (laughs) You're not his counselor. And even when you do give, You're only giving back to him what was his in the first place. So here's the place we have to get to in our heart. God, if you don't give me another thing, I'm good. God, if you don't give me one other thing, if the things that I'm praying for never happen, God, I'm good. 
that if I don't have another child, I'm good. If my influence never grows, I'm good. If I never get an increase in pay, I'm good. If the things that I felt like I lost are never restored back to me, God, I'm good because you don't owe me anything. And this really frees up your relationships. If we could practice this concept, if you could just, let's just take it from our relationship with God to just our relationships that we interact with every day. In a marriage, when a husband doesn't feel old anything and a wife doesn't feel old anything, it's a lot healthier. <laughs> when children don't feel old anything and parents don't feel old anything, it's a lot more helpful. When friends are not jockeying for a position and, and, and don't feel old anything, or I was there for you, so you should have been there for me, and this and that, it, it brings a lot more freedom. Because then everything I get is just a blessing. <laughs> so so I'm, just, I'm just blessed if my wife just takes the shoes that I'll be trying not to leave in the living room, but I just, you know what I'm saying, if I don't expect her to pick them up, but she does pick them up, then I'm just blessed. I'm not expecting anything from my son, so I'm not holding him hostage, so you better come up here and give me a hug and a kiss. Like, I don't, now there are certain things that within a covenant relationship are like we don't, we don't walk outside of. So I'm not talking about this, that. But nobody owes you your happiness. Nobody, nobody has to jump through hoops for you to feel complete. All of those things should come from the Lord. And so if it works with our relationship with our spouses and our children and our friends, then it, the, the same applies in our relationship with God. When we are not constantly going to God asking for the next thing that we feel like we're owed, and we just see everything that we have as a blessing, then it frees up our worship. It frees up our prayer life. It frees up the time that we spend with him because we don't feel jaded. We just are thankful to be in his presence. If it's a promise in Scripture, he's going to do it. Make no mistake, there is an agreement. There is an agreement that when you follow him, here's your end of the bargain, and then here's his end of the bargain. And God never overcommits and underdelivers. He always lives up. But if it's not in there, let's stop acting like God owes us. God don't owe you a new car. That's not in, the, <laughs> that's not in there. <laughs> God doesn't owe you a position of authority in the church. If you can find it. Let's sit down and talk about it, but it's not in there. God lives up to his end of the bargain, and these workers are missing out on the fact that you agreed for a denarius. So I'm not cheating you. God's not forgetting about you. God isn't giving you the short end of the stick. No, God is living up to his end of the bargain. Sure, more would be nice. And I'm not saying that you're even wrong for wanting more. Sure, more blessings would be nice. More money would be nice. More influence would be nice. More children would be nice. More square footage would be nice. Like, all of that would be nice. But even if he doesn't do it, he's still been more than good to you. And I wonder if there's anybody who knows that. So you don't know what he's thinking. He's not wanting your opinion. <laughs> and he is moving forward. Here's the second thought that we have to adopt. So when I think it's not fair, instead of going with that thought, I'm going to go, I have exactly what I need. When I feel like I've been cheated, no, 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 no. I have exactly what I need. When I feel like somebody has been given more than me or somebody's done the work around, no, 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 no. I have exactly what I need. 
what I need. This is the mindset that we all must adopt because the temptation for us is to constantly be in the state of needing the next thing. Let's not be a needy church. I need this. I need that. I need, I need. No, no, no. Maybe you have a few real needs. And if God hasn't met them yet, I know his character enough to know that he's on his way with what you need. But let's not mislabel wants as needs. No, no, no. You have exactly what you need to do what God has called you to do. And so if you find yourself thinking, well, I really need this or I can't do, I can't do X, Y, Z, then maybe that's just not for you to do. If I, if I don't have what I need to get it done, then God has not asked me to do that. So it may be a good idea. It may be an ambitious idea. It may be a fun idea. But if I don't have it, then it must not be for me right now. Psalm chapter 37, verse 25, 26. I have been young, and now I am old. Ouch. (laughs) Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. God has not forsaken you. God has not left you. He's not going to leave you begging. He is always generous to us, and he will bless you in order to be a blessing. So I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you've been blessed. You may not have everything that you want, but you've been blessed. You have a family that loves you. Come on, you have a church that's teaching you the word and a place where you can belong. Come on, your kids may not be perfect, but they love you and they don't always embarrass you in public. So thank God for the times that you went to Sam's Club and they didn't knock anything over. Like, I don't know who I'm talking to, but you need to be reminded that you are extremely blessed. I get it. Come on, okay, that was sad. Let's clap. We're going to clap. And sure, there is heartache in this life, and there is pain in this life, but over the scope of your entire existence, you have been extremely blessed. This is what the 6 a.m. workers missed. They missed the fact that, God, I thank you that I was able to get to the marketplace in the first place. God, I thank you that the landowner saw me and hired me today. I thank you that you gave me the energy to get through the day and do the work that I was paid to do. God, I thank you for this denarius. It may not be exceedingly, but it's exactly what I need. God, I thank you that I may have an opportunity to work again tomorrow because I didn't injure myself. I'm not, I'm not lame. I'm not like, God, I am able to do what I'm called to do. God, I'm, I am blessed. I wonder if there's any people missing what God is doing in your life because you're so focused on what you don't have that you've forgotten to count all the blessings that you do have. These 6 a.m. workers, are, they're, they're good when they notice, hey, these people are getting paid, but it's, but it's when it comes time for their payment. And the landowner is like, actually, I'm just going to give you a denarius too. That is when they realize we have been We have been had. We have been robbed. We have been cheated. And the truth of the matter is, none of that is true. They got exactly what they needed. So let me help us. You have the time you need. You have the money you need. You have the people in your life you need. You have the living arrangements you need. And even when you're in a season where you feel like some of your needs aren't being met, God meets our needs. He just told us he does not leave his children begging, but his children become a blessing. So let me just help you. If you're called to go to church here, let's just stop talking about all the things or wherever church you're at. Let's just stop talking about all the things that the church is not. 
Well, I wish we did more of this or, or, or more of that or more of this. Or if we had these six programs, then really it'll be a real church. But this ain't even church. No, no, no. Are you called here or not? Because if God called you here, then we have exactly what you need. And if you're not, there are a lot of amazing churches in northwest Arkansas, and we could point you in direction of good ones. And that's not us being ugly or whatever. It's just like, hey, some people are going to be called, and some people are not going to be called. And for the people who are called, we have exactly what you need. And we are not the best church. We are a church. Now, we try to be the best at what God has called us to do. But we're just a church, so we're by no means are we naive in thinking that this is going to be everyone's cup of tea and everyone, this is going to be everyone's favorite church. No, if you're called, let's go ahead and get to work. <laughs> go out into the vineyard and start doing what you feel called to do. But if not, let's get you to the right place so that you can do that. But throughout all of it, we remember we have exactly what we need. We've been cheated. Nope. We have exactly what we need. We've been bamboozled. Nope. You have exactly what you need. Well, if I just had more time. Nope. We all have 24 hours, seven days a week. You have exact. Now, you might need to get creative. You might need to make great use of your resources. But you have exactly what you need to do what God has called you to do. The third one is this. And I saved it for the last because it's the hardest pill to swallow. I don't determine what others deserve. Just say that one more time in case you missed it. <laughs> I don't determine what other people deserve. And if I could just be so real with you right now, I feel like I have a pretty good determiner. <laughs> like, I feel like I'll meet with you for like 30 minutes and I can tell you exactly why you're in this situation. You're in, I'm going to just be real. I'm healing from that. This is what the 6 a.m. workers thought. Oh, I could tell you how to run this business. You shouldn't have paid them that much. You shouldn't have paid them as much. Or if you are going to pay them that much, then pay us more. Here's the line that they said, you've made them equal to us. Since when is how much you get paid a representation of your value? But we, we kind of fall into that. We think God loves people who have more <laughs> more than he loves people who have a little. And that's not true. It's about who you're in a relationship with. That is where your identity comes from. And just because someone else is favored don't mean, doesn't mean that I've been forgotten. <laughs> just because other people are winning doesn't mean that I've lost. No, no, no. There's space in heaven. There's space on earth for multiple people to win at the same time. So I, I am a millennial. Where my millennials at? So, okay. I don't know if you know this, but there's this whole deal, like, people really be hating on millennials because they think we're soft. And we just kind of proved their point right there. I'm going to just be honest with you. I was expecting, like, a hoorah. And so I don't know if you're ashamed to be a millennial. I just want to remove that from you right now in Jesus' name. But we're going to do this again. I'm going to say where all my millennials at, and then we're going to. Great. All right. Where my millennials at? Okay. So I did have a part of my childhood, because I'm a millennial, where, like, social media really wasn't that big of a deal. And even when social media, like, popped up, it was like MySpace. Come on, who remember MySpace? Come on, you had the music in the background. I already know. You were super safe. You had, like, the Christian music. That was not me. Um, and Facebook, when it first came out. But it was, like, I had a flip phone, so I would have to, like, log into my mom's computer 
to jump in on MySpace, update my top eight friends real quick, like take them off, put them up. And it, it was like a whole deal. But because of that, I didn't really grow up knowing what everybody else's life around me was like. I, I didn't see what their parents were like, how much money their parents made. Like, I just didn't have any of that information grow, growing up. I just knew we all went outside this magical place where, you know, fun happens. Uh, and we got on our bikes, and we all went and played football. We all went and played basketball. We all went and chased down the ice cream truck. It was just much simpler times, okay? Um, but then something happened in eighth grade where I switched schools. And I started going to a school that was not just kids from my neighborhood, but it was kids from all across town. And that's when I started to notice, oh, we don't have no money. Like, we, we were poor. Their school clothes were a lot nicer than mine. And, like, I wore the knockoff Jordans, but they had the real Jordans. And so, we were, like, the knockoff Jordans are great unless you're standing by somebody with the real ones. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, these ain't real. <laughs> and this was the first time where I really started to feel jealous of my classmates, not for what we could control, not because of their grades or because of their athletic ability, but for things that were outside of our control. The fact that they had both parents in their home, the amount of money that their, their parents made. I would go over to their house for their birthday and be like, dang, like, just y'all live here? Like, <laughs> is there multiple families in this house? And it, now, now, just imagine with me if you had access to everyone's highlights all the time. If you had access to see what other people have that you don't have. If you could see their stories, not their real story, like the pain and all that, but literally just the fabricated version of it that's cleaned up with the filter, and they take a picture with their kids, but they didn't do their makeup, so they put an emoji over their face. And it's like, like, imagine if at the click of a button you could see everyone's highlights and you could constantly compare and judge and determine if you feel like people deserve what they have. What would that produce in our hearts? Do we think that would produce gratitude and thankfulness for what we have? Would it breed generosity or would it breed comparison, um, resentment, stinginess? And where does that ultimately take us if those are the things or if those are the thoughts that we allow to continue to grow? James chapter 4 verse 1 through 3 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your, desire that ba- your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. Let me just help you. If you see something that, like, I have that you want, please just come ask. You don't have to resort to killing. Um, I still may say no, but at least have, like, let's have the conversation first. Um, you, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This was the issue with the 6 a.m. workers. Not that they didn't get what they needed, but they didn't have what they wanted. And they wanted more not because it could take care of their family or more because of, no, 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 because they wanted it. And so what's the answer to this? Is it to delete all your social media so you never see anybody else winning? I think that might be a bit extreme, but you might need to do that. Maybe it's that God wants to change your heart so that when you see other people winning, you don't count it as a loss for you, but you can celebrate seeing what God is doing in other people's lives. And so being in the back of the line feels like you're getting jaded if you're only concerned about the payment and what you can get. 
but it feels like a great opportunity if you love to cheer other people on. Because not only do I get to receive the blessing of God on my life, but I also get to stand and watch person after person be blessed by God. I have to measure my own responses. Here's how I measure in my heart if I'm doing a great job at not determining what other people deserve. I have to listen for the must be nicest. You, you know the must be nicest. Must be nice to come from that family. Must be nice to have that income. Must be nice to have kids that behave like that. Must be nice to be that talented. Must be nice to be in good with the pastors. Must be nice. What, what is that communicating? That somehow they have something that you think they don't deserve. And instead of must be nice, could we replace that with must be God? When it must be God that put them in the family that they're in for a reason. It must be God that gave them that job. It must be God that gave them that influence. It must be God that gave them those relationships. It must be God's hand on their life. God gifted them. God helped them develop their character. We are not the determining factor in other people's lives. We don't get to choose who gets what. So I get it. It's not fair. It's not fair to work all day, sweat, and then get paid the same thing. And the interesting thing is God never tells us, I'm going to be fair. Just, he says it's going to be right. It's going to be righteous. He's going to judge. There's going to come a time where he's going to compare fruit. But he never says life is going to be fair says it'll be right. So when we read the story, most of us can, we feel the 6 a.m. worker. We're like, that's right. <laughs> but we never stop to consider, we're the people that were hired at 5 p.m. And so here we are, mad. Yeah, I get it. Because I've been working on this project. I've been doing this. I've been in church my whole life. And then somebody can just come in and get saved and get God start using them. It's not fair. You're missing it. You're not the person who's been putting in the work. You are the 5 p.m. worker. And you were standing out in the marketplace with nothing to do. And you had been standing there way too long, way past the time you should have went home. You were standing in your depression. You were standing in your bad attitude. You were standing in grieving. You, you, were, you were standing. And the landowner came up and said, hey, why, why have you been here all day? Don't, don't you know there's an opportunity for you? And when we, realize, when we take in that reality... It helps us have a lot more grace on other people. You got to talk to us because even now, some people are thinking in the room, yeah, yeah but I'm good. Like, I, I really have been in church for a long time. I, like, I'm, I, I'm locked in. Me and God, we're good. The only issue with that is that we don't get to determine who's good and who's not good. In fact, there's a moment where this young man walks up to to Jesus says, good teacher. And Jesus said, why you call me good? Only God is good. So if we're really talking about who's good and who's not good, none of us are in the good category. And do you really want God to be fair? Because if we track that thought down, we could talk about what's fair according to Scripture. For all men have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. So what's really fair for us is eternal separation from a God who loves us. So knowing that, who wants to sign up for fair? No, no, God is not fair, but he's faithful. God is not fair, but he's loving. God is not fair, but he's merciful. God is not fair, but he's generous. God has not been fair to you, but he's been way too good for us to sit and compare and think, well, if they got that, then I need this, or you don't, no, 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 no. I have been good to you. If anybody was treated unfairly, it was Jesus. Because he did put in the work. He was in the beginning. He was a part of creation. All throughout generation after generation, Jesus was there. And he came and he put on flesh and he lived a perfect life, a life that you and I could never live. He never sinned, never made a mistake. And he died on a cross for our sins. I love how Philippians chapter 2 says it. Then we're wrapping up. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the fire. This story actually isn't about working and what you've earned or haven't earned. It's about the grace of God on your life. You were hired at the last minute, and now you're getting a payment that you actually don't deserve. And so real quick, if we could all stand up together, I do want to do a couple things as we end. The first one is maybe today is it's 5 o'clock for you. And you, you didn't even realize it before this moment, but you've just been kind of standing around. There hasn't been any purpose on your life. And you haven't really stepped into a relationship with Jesus. He makes that available to you right now. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to give you a purpose, a hope, and a future. And here's what he's looking for. People who are willing to say, I can't do it on my own. I'm too messed up. I've sinned. I've fallen short. Now, God, I'll repent, and I'll follow the way that you go and not my own way. So real quick, with every eye closed, come on, if that's you, just shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up real quick. Thank you, Lord. Come on, don't miss your moment. This is, this is the time. Thank you, Lord. Come on, church, let's all together pray this. Jesus. Come on, everybody, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I recognize that I can never earn a relationship with the Father. But I'm grateful that you've made it possible. God, right now, I make you the Lord of my life. I turn from my sin 
and I commit to following you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. Come on. If we can do this, let's worship together because I really feel like God is ministers to some people in the room. And so we're going to worship, and I'll come back and close us out. Don't the earth will shout joy. Come on. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Let's give God some praise all over this room. Let, let's be people who refuse to allow the enemy to lie to us. That's, that's where jealousy comes from. That's where envy comes from. That's where comparison comes from. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. So he's, he's where those thoughts are coming from. I don't know. And we're going to fight that with grateful hearts. We're going to be thankful for what we have. So every husband and wife right now, hold hands. Come on, we're grateful. We're grateful. God, I thank you for my spouse. God, I thank you that there's nobody better for me. Come on, if your kids are in here, reach over, touch your kids. God, I thank you for my children. God, that you're using them to mold me and you've trusted me to shoot them into the future like arrows, God. Now help me raise up and equip. God, I thank you for my friends. God, I thank you for my job. Even though I might have felt overlooked or whatever, God, I'm thankful that I have a means to make an income to provide for my family. God, I thank you for the calling on my life. God, help me not disqualify myself because I'm busy looking at what other people have. We're grateful. We're grateful. You've been far too good for us. For us to feel like you're not giving us enough. God, you owe us nothing. We have everything we need. And we refuse to look at what other people have and treat that like it's some sort of ruler to base our lives on. No, God, we are going to do what we can do with what you've given us. We're not going to hold people to some invisible standard. We're going to put our full trust in you. And if you say it's right for us, God, then it's right for us. So all of this room, I don't know if you've said that this week. I don't know if you said it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. If that's been a thought, just go ahead and wave your hand at me. Come on, it's not fair. I've been overlooked. I feel like I've been cheated. I feel like I've been left out. 
God, right now for every person in this room that feels like it's not fair. God, you haven't left us. You haven't forsaken us. God, you have given us all we need, and we release that to you right now. The situation, the promotion that we didn't get, the relationship we don't have, God, the friends that left our life, we give them back to you because if we don't have it, it's not what we need, and you've given us all we need, and we honor you in this place today. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.